0: Ever wonder what it's like to face a 350-pound lineman who wants to smash you into the ground? I know what that feels like. Scott Mitchell here, and I want to tell you about my podcast, Helmets Off, where I talk about the pressures of being an NFL quarterback and some of the other pressures pro athletes face when the helmet is off. It's a podcast, and you can get it free on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and at kslsports.com. Now is the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.
1: This is Innovation and in Leadership. We've got episode two here with Mr. Reed Quinn. He
2: is founder at Spark Innovation. You've got to have a certain amount of stick to itness and grit, you know, not to give up on an idea before you've really exhausted it, but also you have to be willing to, to move on before, you know, it, it sinks you.
1: This is another episode of Innovation and in Leadership where we interview all kinds of high achievers from world class musicians to CEOs, authors, and pro athletes. Try to find the common elements of success no matter what you're working on. Before we start the show today, I want to put a shout out for our guest, Reed Quinn, who you're going to hear from. Uh, His group has helped start a conference called ProductPowerUp.com. It's a pretty awesome event. They're going to have the founder of Stance Socks. They're having the CEO of Codepoxy. They're having one of the Harmon brothers. If you don't know them, they're an ad agency that's helped sell $100 million in product last year making viral videos. Great guys. I think the conference is going to be awesome. I'm going to be there moderating the marketing panel. Again, productpowerup.com. Hope you check it out. Also, we've got a new book coming out soon. If you want to get an advanced copy for free, please email me, jess at innovationandleadership.com. And just tell me in the email. Again, jess, J-E-S-S, at innovationandleadership.com.
2: And now on the episode.
1: Just quickly, Reed, will you give everybody the laundry list of the different products you've been a part of as an entrepreneur?
2: Um, they've all been consumer products. Um, initially, it was uh, a gift card brand called Give a Gift, and then uh, started a company called KT Tape, uh, and then most recently, um, brands like FiberFix, ScreenMend, um, Illumable, um, and uh, one uh, most recently called CoverGrip.
1: Okay, so we talked about the other ones in, in part one. If you didn't catch part one, go back and listen to how you know, Reed's been doing big $500,000 viral videos and getting in 20,000 locations like Walmart's and Home Depot's of the world. Um, but just quickly tell us what those other ones do um, since KT tape and FiberFix, fix. Tell us the other ones, Illumable and, and such.
2: Yeah. Well, we've really focused um, uh, on the hardware market and there's some reasons for that. Um, we feel like the retail landscape is really changing. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about in episode one that one of my goals as an entrepreneur was to create brands. It's a lot of work to develop a product and to figure out how to distribute it. And, um, one of the ways to kind of make that worth it is to create some loyalty with, with a brand. And, um, that's very hard to do online. Um, there are some people who have done that very well. I am not one of them. Um, and so our experience is that people online t- tend to have, for most products, more loyalty to the facilitator of an online transaction, to an Amazon Prime or to a PayPal, than they do to an actual brand. And um, you, know, you can see this. I-, I buy things online like everybody else. I've, I've got this uh, phone case that is sitting here on my lap. and. And I have no idea what brand it is, but I, I know that I got it on Amazon mm. and the way that we kind of combat that is we say, well, unlike the online space, which is infinite, you know Amazon can continue to add millions of products all they need is a bigger server, but in stores, they have a certain amount of square feet, they have a certain number of pegs, and so they're kind of limited so with brick and mortar retail, there's almost an implied endorsement in the products that are presented it's like saying. We went out there and we looked at all of the twenty-two thousand phone cases, and we chose to carry these six in our store. And so it would be like if you're an online retailer, if you could go in instead of being one of twenty-two thousand sellers of phone cases, it's almost like you go in and delete the other uh, twenty-one thousand nine hundred and you know ninety-four listings and just leave the six. I mean, you'd do so much more volume. And, and you'd have so much more, more chance of, of getting a following and, uh, and, and some loyalty um, with your product. So, you know, we felt okay, to build a brand, you've got to own the brick and mortar retail. Well, brick and mortar retail is kind of under fire and, and changing very rapidly. A lot of the uh, retailers, like the apparel, or the electronic retailers um, are, are just um, getting uh, attacked um, and losing sales left and right to um, flash sale sites and, and online retailers. And so one safe haven that we identified was uh, hardware products. Um, automotive is another one. Drug is, 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 is perhaps another one, where um, these brick-and-mortar retailers support not only consumers but professionals. So if I'm a carpenter or a painter or a plumber, Chances are that I get a lot of my supplies for the job that I'm doing the day of, um, you know, at uh, a, a hardware supplier. It could be a plumbing store. It could be a Fastenal. It could be a Home Depot or a Lowe's. And, um, and, and so those retailers seem very stable. Um, just the nature of the products that they sell uh, give them a little bit more staying power. I don't see drones anytime soon going to be flying around with 2 by 4s you know, delivering lumber for your, your deck um you know just because the products are too big, they're too expensive to ship. And so, you know, with uh my current venture, that's really what we focused on. Not necessarily a particular brand uh or products, but kind of that whole DIY category.
1: Interesting. What do you feel like the advantage of having put that much thought into it is?
2: Well, um I think that um you know a lot of people have asked me if I if I start a business with an exit strategy and 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 yes, uh, in, in general we do, but kind of at the core of that is to, to create something of value, create something that will last. And so, you know, um, not, uh, tying yourself to a sinking ship is definitely part of that. And so, you know, I would be very concerned if I was, uh, a consumer product guy. And for example, I, um, was in the apparel industry, um, you know, or if I was, if I had to, if I was making razor blades and I had to compete with the Dollar Shave Club, you know, they're going to definitely have to adapt. And, and um, you know, um, I mean, same thing. You look at uh, mattresses. I don't know if you've had anybody on from from Purple, but you know, they have definitely uh, started to disrupt uh, that consumer product category. So just as we look at kind of uh, where um, the uh, the safe areas are. We feel pretty good about how we've positioned, and ultimately, that should translate into um, something of higher value, whether we sell that or we keep it around for a long time. Um, you know, we, we we feel like it's a good place to be.
1: Sure. Um, you know, one of the questions we like to ask a lot of guests is uh, with our charity, Child Rescue, combating child trafficking. If you were our advisor, trying to get more people involved in caring about that cause, and um, you know, attract people to spend time and money to help you know, preserve these kids' childhood. Um, what what kind of advice would you have for us on that?
2: Well, I am the father of um, six kids. We have uh, five of our own and then one that we adopted. And um, we are um, very uh, in tune to these causes, I think uh, maybe more than, than most because we have young children. And um, we participate in a lot of these types of initiatives through church and through school. And um, it kind of... Um, you know, uh, is, is fun to, um, to participate in a meaningful way, especially at this stage in our life where, you know, we are, uh, you know, so aware of our, our kids needs and, um, how, how much joy, uh, they bring us.
1: Yeah, it, it is. Uh, I will say this, even my good buddies who are on the board now, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking of one specifically who uh, we had on the show and he talked about, you know, I was talking to him about the cause and he'd be like, yeah, that's such a great cause. And then, as soon as he had his first daughter, he's like, hey, Jess, I want to get involved in that thing. You know, how do I get how do I help out with child rescue? Right. Um, so it kind of sounds like you're saying know your market. Is that fair? Or what, how would you? Yeah,
2: and, and maybe focus on, um, you know, our kids bring home uh, information all the time. And when we see them uh, start to be aware of uh, uh, social causes, um, it, it uh, makes us uh, more aware of them and, and more willing to participate, um, especially when we see how passionate they are about it as well. So, you know, that if, if I was uh, involved on your board or an advisor or something like that, that might be somewhere that uh, to start is is there an opportunity to involve schools to involve children to involve the parents of those children and and how do we get that uh, information out to them can we use um, the school system can we use uh, you know scouts or other organizations that children are involved in and and get some excitement and energy and passion um, uh, shared uh, among these groups
1: you know it's a good point because we've got these like high school chapters called the backyard broadcast about kind of like broadcasting. This happens right in our own backyard. Right. And, mm. but that's kind of like four high school kids by high school kids or four college kids by college kids. But mm. we hadn't really like, we haven't done the work to say, you know, what is the maybe less graphic or, you know, what the toned down version that actually is appropriate for, you know, maybe even younger ages that we should be thinking about because, um, you know, I think <laughs> My parents had probably no interest in recycling when I was a kid, but, you know, we got indoctrinated at school and we all came home and got our parents to recycle. Right.
2: Yep I've, I've been I've been conned into cutting, uh, you know, box tops for because they're sending <laughs> in canned food or something because my kids we are going to get this pizza party because, uh, you know, we're going to beat such and such a class or, you know, we are actually, you know, feel very strongly. Um, you know, we, we talked about drugs or we talked about something, um, that, uh, I didn't really know about. And I, now that I do mom and dad, you know, I want to help. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and again, it is kind of a sensitive, um, topic, but I, I think, you know, particularly with our older kids, I think it would be something that, um, would resonate with them. I think they have a deep appreciation for just how fortunate we are to live in a beautiful area and to have uh, so many opportunities, opportunities to, grow and develop and and practice talents and, you know, uh, associate with good people. And, um, you know, sometimes it takes um, an understanding uh, of the way things are other places to really motivate you from just appreciation to action.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I appreciate that. Um, You know, going back to the the innovation and leadership theme of the show, um, you know, we've talked about... Well, I, I want to bring something up. I feel like there's this myth out there about originality, you know, that innovation is somehow uh, about, you know, not being influenced, and it's this, like, myth of originality of, like, you know, coming up with some idea out of nowhere, where I feel like what you've done of, of spotting and investigating and pursuing is really where innovation comes from, of, of this, like, small aha followed by another small aha eventually, you know, coming across the, the like... The tipping point of we're going to do this. What, what would be your reaction to that?
2: Oh, I agree with that strongly. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about in the, in the first um, episode about not, about not getting married to a specific idea and, and that maybe being a key differentiator between an entrepreneur and an inventor. And really, I think um, there's there's some of both, right? Um, you've got to have um, a certain amount of stick to itness and grit, uh, you know, not to give up on an idea be- before you've really exhausted it, but also you have to be willing to, to move on before, you know, it, it sinks you. Um, we at, at Spark um, kind of uh, have found that uh, execution is really you know, an okay idea executed really well beats uh, an excellent idea executed poorly. And so we've really kind of um, built our company around the principles that are needed to execute quickly and effectively in retail. And if you don't get that traction, because there is a certain amount of it that is outside of our control, um, to to move on very quickly, to fail very quickly and, and, and move on to the next thing. And consequently, you know, we might have two or three dozen, uh, products, uh, that you could find, uh, on shelves at major retailers right now, but that's out of hundreds. I mean, maybe between two and 300 products that we've gone through in the last, um, five years. Um, so, you know, our batting average is not high, um, but our overall success rate, we feel like we have something that we can really point to and say, you know, that's, that's not bad for five, you know, 30, 30 products on shelves in five years, uh, in, in tens of thousands of locations, not, not too bad.
1: So, and, and how do you guys make that calculation so that you're not putting it all on red so that you can survive being, you know, you can do the experiment, but it's a survivable failure if it's failure.
2: Well, we don't, we don't do, um, you know, anything. We, we try and appear a lot bigger than we are or a lot more committed than we are maybe. Um, you know, so what will happen is instead of doing a prototype, we'll just do a rendering one mm. appropriate instead of, um, you know, actually pulling a mold will just do enough uh, work on the materials and the cost to know within 5% what our cost would be so that we can actually, um, you know, pitch the product. Um, if a retailer is ready to have a meeting, Maybe we do do a prototype, but we don't pull the trigger on the the mold and and incur a lot of the cost until we have a yes. Oh, I'm really excited about this one. Um, Yeah, I want to put this in my Q1 uh, program for next year. And and then, okay, all right, now we got to scramble a little bit on the back end to actually Mm -hmm. make that happen. But I would rather have a purchase order for a product that doesn't exist than a product that exists that that I don't have
0: somebody (laughs) that that wants
2: it yet. And so we tend to do a little bit more by the skin of our teeth. We tend to do a little bit that smoke and mirrors. We'll put up a website. We'll do a a market survey. We'll do some artwork. We'll do some renderings. We'll do a quick video, um, you know, where a product isn't quite fully developed. We don't know exactly if it would you know, have one of these or two of these. Um, but we have enough to get some really good feedback. Is, is the retailer, is the customer excited? Will they buy? Will they spend this amount of money or this amount of money? So we spend a little bit more work uh, on that quickly, kind of quick and dirty um, to to get some confidence. And then once we get a really good read on it, then we jump in with both feet and and um and, and make it happen so but we we don't uh kind of do it in a vacuum uh pull the mold you know figure out what our cost is because now we know exactly that we've produced it, and then start to go out and sell. We actually sell the idea and then go make the product uh based on the feedback of the idea or change it I mean that's happened quite quite often too as they say, yeah I like where you're going with this but Um, you know, I would need it to to be uh, a little bit different. And this is why. And a lot of times those insights are are particularly useful. So we will go down that path, um, almost expecting things to change during the process.
1: That's interesting. Um, What about staff? You know, it's great to have founders with this type of experience and vision, but what about um, systematically helping more folks on the team bring this level of thinking, this level of decision-making prowess to the decisions they're making on behalf of the company?
2: Well, that's actually one of our, uh, core, um, you know, uh, values at Spark is to, you know, there's, there's actually, um, surprisingly a few, uh, places that you can go for knowledge about, um, retail sales. Um, you know, the companies that sell to uh, the Walmarts and the Home Depots and, and uh, Walgreens of the world tend to be very large companies where nobody knows uh, what's going on because they're all siloed. You know, one person has one job. They just just analyze stuff and another person just has another job. And so there are very few small companies. And so where would you go to learn that? There's, there's no classes in college, you know, called, uh, you know, retail 101. Where you could learn the vocabulary and and um, and the way that that retailers. So, um, you know, we tend to just find good people that are passionate about um, entrepreneurship and about products, and uh, we kind of teach them from scratch. And um, like, and so idea, what would that,
1: what would that look like teaching them from um, scratch?
2: Yeah, you know, we don't care what they majored in. Um, you know, we have had people that have come from hard sciences like engineering. We've had people that have come from, you know, communications or journalism. We've had people that have come from. You know, it doesn't doesn't really matter um, what their background is because we're going to start day one and say, um, all right, here's here's how we do things, <laughs> um, and um, we care a lot more about kind of what they what their ultimate career goals are and and do you you want to manage products? Do you want to develop products? Do you want to be a a brand manager?
1: Is that a pretty formal process or is that just something their manager knows is their responsibility or what does that look like for you guys?
2: Um, no, that's right in the very first uh, job interview As we're looking for, um, employees. Um, everybody here wears a lot of different hats. Um, You know, the the things that a particular product needs early on are very different than those that it needs as it kind of matures. And so we're looking for a generalist, Um, a generalist with a lot of passion, a lot of accountability, a lot of attention to detail, Um, you know, that's, that's, that's smart and entrepreneurial and fit with our culture. And, you know, it's pretty obvious whether they're a good fit. Once we bring them onto the team, Um, after a year or two they are even you know they're they're invaluable because now they have a couple years of product experience under their belt they've been to um, our manufacturing facilities and they know what's required to to bring a product to market they um, have been to meetings with buyers and they know how someone is is uh, you know what all the vocabulary is and what questions are going to be asked and how to position things. Um, they know a little bit about marketing. They know a little bit about collections and financing. They know, uh, you know, so, um, but that becomes invaluable, and we can ultimately turn over a new project to them and say, all right, you know everything that we know. Um, this seems like a good you know, opportunity to so come back in two weeks and tell us uh, you know, what the response from the customers has been. Uh, and and um, So uh, ultimately, we would love for Utah Valley um, to have a lot of consumer product companies uh, because then that gives us a lot more options. We don't need that uh, you know, 18 to 24-month uh, ramp-up period because um, that's our primary constraint. There are tons of opportunities out there, and really it's uh, the people that can go chase them. Um, and so the more uh, that we train up those people, even if they leave us and go to start their own consumer product company, then they'll train people, and then we can steal them back. So we're happy when that happens too.
1: <laughs> uh, what about the people side? I mean, there's the task oriented, check the boxes, but, you know, knowing how much, especially if you're dealing with buyers and emotions and people's feelings about things, you know, feelings about a product, feelings about timing, right? Um, What do you, do you guys have a formal process in-house or is that more done in the hiring for, you know, getting people who are really dialed into other humans?
2: Um, you know, there definitely is a people aspect of it. Um. Usually that is, you know, um, we we feel like a lot of that can be learned. Um, There are, uh, you know, um, certain uh, brand managers that we have that um, we feel like really excel at this and some that kind of struggle with it. And uh, sometimes when we have kind of a touchy buyer or a a situation that's less than ideal – uh, we you know purposely give that project to someone who's got a little bit softer touch and and is more attentive to um you know those uh, those issues so um yeah but uh, that doesn't mean that uh you know an insensitive guy like me can't uh, can't do sales um, <laughs> as as uh, as we've proven but um you know yeah definitely uh, everyone has their their strengths and we some people are exceptionally good with the numbers and we tend to give them uh, more assignments where, you know, margins are thin and, and we've got to really watch the bottom line and account for any little discrepancy, uh, on the front end, um, and, and uh, be a little bit more careful. Um, so yeah, but we can use all kinds. I think that there are, um, opportunities regardless of what your strengths are to excel, um, in uh, this type of a, a business.
1: Yeah. Um, what about you as a leader? You know, this whole idea of, setting the example and leading from in front and, you know, staff typically won't take higher level of personal responsibility than their leader. Um, what kind of things do you do for yourself? Are you much of a book guy or do you have any routines of things of, you know, how do you, how do you work to spot your own blind spots as a leader?
2: Um, you know, I find that, um, I, uh, the the more I can solicit ideas, um, the the more likely we are to find the most efficient solution. So I kind of lead from the back. Um, You know, my job is really to bring all the good people together, present the problem and let them go to work. And um, so, you know, I've talked to people at some very different companies um, and and about their culture and their leadership style and and collaboration and things like that. and two really good examples are maybe like Apple and Google. Um, Apple has a very secretive, you know, culture. Like, you know, oh, you took that prototype to the lunchroom and you set it out on the table. I'm sorry, you're fired. You know, we can't let anybody know what this next version of the phone is going to look like. And Google might be, hey, this is a whole company, uh, you know, meeting, and everybody's telling everybody about what they're working on. Um, we tend to be a lot more like Google. Um, we have regular company meetings. We pull everybody together. Whether or not you're working on this product, you're probably interested to know what's going on and what we're thinking. And if you have any thoughts, we'd love to hear them. And so we tend to to um, lead with a lot of collaboration. Um, we uh, go as far as, you know, hey, we're, we're struggling with a name for this new brand. Let's put a Google Doc and send it out to everybody. I don't care if you're packing boxes in the warehouse or you're on our accounting team, or you're working on products, or you're in design. Everybody, please, tonight, before 7 o'clock, you know, put 12 names on this Google spreadsheet, and we're going to go through tomorrow and kind of, you know, pick some of the better ones and and vote on them and choose. You know, the more we can kind of um, broaden the uh, base of contributors, I think the better the results uh, get. So. Um, you know, and sometimes that's not uh, super practical with the nitty-gritty decisions. But definitely, um, on the, on a the large scale, we we err on including uh, more people rather than excluding uh, people from from uh, inputting.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, it seems obvious. All the great opportunities with that level of collaboration. Um, when you think about, and and I know we're about out of time here, but when you think about folks that you look up to, or whether they're in your industry or not, of like. Folks who are doing it right, who, who do you aspire to be more like or who, who do you think is getting some aspect of business or the product business right that, that you think is worth uh, further investigation of their patterns?
2: Oh, I think there's the, – the list is very long for me. Um, I think actually um, Utah Valley is a fabulous place to um, be working on products. Um, you know, I think we're starting to get a little bit of a reputation for tech. Um, you see the the Silicon Slopes and and uh, some really big uh, tech companies that have come out of here as you drive along the Rossach Front. Um, but it's surprising uh, to me how many really fabulous um, consumer product companies are also Utah based. And and some of the innovative things that were uh, that are are being done. Um, I think Traeger is doing some exciting things. I think that what do they um, make? Uh, the they make a uh, a grill, uh, oh, yeah. like a, a wood smoking grill. Yeah,
1: yeah I met those. Um,
2: yeah, purple is is another one. Um, you've got pugs and Zag. You've got a lot in the cell phone accessory space. Um, you have Outlet and Goal Zero. You have uh, handstands that uh, sold to Energizer uh, just uh, a while back. Um, you have um, what, you know, what's a, a, what's
1: something about one of them that you're like, man, that's something I want to be more like.
2: Well, you know, I think that um, a lot of these Utah Valley um, entrepreneurs um, and and product guys um, get it. Um, They have have positioned the product just uh, different enough to to add value over kind of the status quo. And uh, they all succeed for different reasons. Um, You know, it could be their distribution model. It could be their marketing. It could be – You know, something that is traditionally sold in retail that they're going direct to consumer. It could be um, that they're adding a significant amount of value at the same price. It could be that they're adding a significant amount of value at a higher price. Um, And, you know, we look at something called um, like a uh, product matrix. Where you have a long, long access uh, price and convenience and, you know, a- attributes of the product. And then you have down the other side, um, you know, distribution and capacity and uh, innovation and, and other things that you compete on. And I can place almost every single one of those companies in one of those boxes and I can say, this is what they excel at. And for almost every single one of them, it, it, it's different. But you can do that with almost every good company. You can do that and you can say, oh, Google excels at innovation and price. And Lego, they really understand their their customer, um, you know, better than anybody else or, or Disney. Um, and, and as we do that, um, and we do that quite often with our products and with our brands and say, what does this brand mean to, to the customer? But as I look around the valley, um, I have a lot of, of people that I look uh, up to that um that have decided what it is that that brand does well, and they just keep at it and they focus on it. You know, they have this laser focus on this is what, you know, goal zero is going to do, or this is what, um, you know, Criminelli is going to do really well. And uh, it's it's pretty hard for someone else who doesn't have that focus, who maybe hasn't, is trying to do too much, be all things to all people to compete with that type of focus. So
1: Love it. Well, let's end here with uh, either maybe the best piece of advice you ever got or the thing that you would want to tell people most or, or how would you want to close here?
2: Um, well, that's actually a, a <laughs> pretty difficult question. I've been given uh, a lot of uh, advice by a lot of really um, great people. Um, one that I gleaned from uh, a book, um, just recently, uh, it was called competing against luck. And oh, it's, is that it's, the Clayton uh, Christensen one? Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I came away from that thinking, you know, sometimes it feels a little random. Sometimes it feels like, uh, um, you know, we are competing with luck, that, that I don't know why this product uh, succeeded and this one failed. But as, as, uh, the, the more that I do this, uh, the more that I realize um, the decisions that we make every day uh, and uh, um, the way that we... Uh, pursue our goals makes all the difference um, you know it's not just uh, arbitrary that uh, these things can be learned and improved on and uh, you can really stack the deck in your favor if you surround yourself with uh, good people and good processes and um, so there there were a lot of takeaways from that book but that was that was one that uh, I'm, I'm remembering now so
1: that's great well listen where's the best place for people to be checking out your products
2: um, it's uh, retail stores, a lot of the hardware stores, Home Depot, Ace, Lowe's, um, Orville. Uh, a lot of the auto- automotive, O'Reilly's. Um, you can find uh, FiberFix branded as well as uh, other products that we manufacture. So
1: love it. Well, thanks for all your time today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on. This has been been enjoyable. Talk to you soon. Bye. Well, that's it for the show. I hope you liked
1: it. Again, please check out the conference. Reed and his team have helped build called ProductPowerUp.com. It's happening uh this coming Thursday with founder of Stance Sox, Code Epoxy CEO Davis Smith, one of the Harmon brothers. And uh as before, if you're interested in getting on the list to get an advanced copy of our new book coming out, uh just email me Jess at innovationandleadership.com. Again, J-E-S-S at innovation and and just let me know. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Now is the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.